0: Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
1: You just don't get it, do you? It's not just the guys and Gary's beat us at basketball, volleyball, darts, and every other sport known to mankind. It's more than that. I'm a jock. This is a jock bar, but if we keep losing... All the jocks are going to say, hey, cheers is for losers. Let's go drink over Gary's.
0: Oh, they'll never say that. They'll say,
1: oh. you know, like cheers, let's go to Gary's. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me to discuss the first appearance of Gary's Old Town Tavern, the host of Radio vs. the Martians and Podcast de La Vista, baby, please welcome Mike Gillis back to the show. How's it going, Mike?
1: Going pretty well.
0: Good, good. Good to hear that. Um, as of this recording, I think the last time I heard you on a podcast... You were talking to Paul Hicks about your mutual bouts with cancer.
1: Oh yeah, Uh, things are better than that. (laughs)
0: Okay, I I, I was going to say I I think the goal for this episode should be to be even more heavy and and dramatic than that one was. Okay, let's let's see how serious. I'll get
1: get my crying towel ready.
0: As I said, we are talking about season four, episode nine, From Beer to Eternity. This episode is written by Peter Casey and David Lee, directed by Jim Burrows. The original air date was Thursday, November twenty-eighth, nineteen eighty-five. The gang returns from their latest disastrous softball game defeat against their rival Bar, Gary's Old Town Tavern. Gary himself stops by the bar to claim his victory and shame Sam, Carla, and all of the others for their dismal performances, not just at softball, but at every other sport they ever compete in. Fed up by his behavior, Carla challenges Gary's to a bowling match, thinking the likes of Norman Cliff ought to excel at it. After a disappointing tryout reveals the Cheers regulars are no better at bowling than any other sport that requires more physical athleticism. Carla discovers that Woody used to be a bowler before he vowed never to play again after maiming a maintenance worker at a bowling alley. During the competition with Gary's Old Town Tavern, Woody comes out of retirement to help his friends, but freezes up when he gets on the lane and can't move, let alone bowl. Finally, to shut a condescending Gary up, Diane joins Sam's team, revealing that she bowled in college, and she wins the game for cheers. I know you have thoughts on this one. We talked about them a little bit before, but what did you think overall of this episode from Beer to Eternity?
1: Oh, I like this one quite a bit. Um, This one also set off a certain... I wouldn't call it traumatic sense in my head, but maybe just because I have a really well-calibrated bully radar. Mm. There's something about them continuing to try to do battle with Gary and his people that always just makes me cringe because there is no way to win. You know that this guy isn't doing this because he thinks that the folks at Cheers give him a good competition. It isn't because he wants to take on the best. He does this because he knows they're going to lose and he wants to rub it in. And there's this part of me that's like, guys, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> it's it's painful because maybe it's the fact that Sam is a former professional athlete that keeps him into this. Maybe it's the fact that Sam's a professional athlete that makes Gary get some kind of pleasure out of humiliating him. But I just want them to stop, you know, it's like this is I mean, Diane is right, not just because, you know, this is something to not pour all of your heart and mind into, but because you're not going to get anything out of it except humiliation 90% of the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I actually, um, one of the show runners or one of the writers and producers, Ken Levine, actually spoke at one point about that. they were like, "Were you ever going to let the Cheers gang beat Gary's?" And he was like, "No, never. They always had to lose every time because the frustration is funnier than victory. As much as it might make you your heart ache for the characters that you love so much, for the purposes of the show and the entertainment, they had to be the downtrodden. They had to be the bullied in this case."
1: Yeah, they're kind of like every summer camp movie that you've ever seen, and they're the people on the other side of the lake who are, like, the jocks and the smart guys, and they're they're, going to outdo you every time. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to just kind of, like, slime up to you with a smug grin and rub it in, and you're just going to... Like that about it. And it's it's like that except the third act of those kind of movies, the slobs beat the snobs. Except <laughs> that third act never comes for the gang of cheers and they get not they until, get a bit of a win like one episodes. of
0: the last five episodes, I think. <laughs>
1: not, yeah. yeah. You're like, oh and it's kinda like we're stuck in the second act with these guys and because you're stuck in the second act you kind of want sam just to tell this guy to go pound sand and stop letting him get the better of you cuz you can see what it does to sam
0: mhm uh, and, and everybody else too so um this is the first appearance of gary and gary's old town tavern as, as a feature sort of as a thing gary's old town tavern as an entity like this rival I think it shows up or is featured in nine episodes total, though we only see the character of Gary in six of those, and he is played by two different actors, and we'll come back to that, Three, two actors each playing him three times. This one, titled From Beer to Eternity, is the only one of the major Cheers versus Gary's episodes that isn't titled Bar Wars, so... The teaser for this one, Cliff walks in wearing these big black reflective sunglasses, trying to look cool... Because he's like, he even says bonjour, no, no, norm, and I love Norm's reaction. Like Norm can't even like. You almost think like George went didn't know this was going to happen when they sat down to film this scene. Like he didn't he didn't know what Cliff was going to look like because Norm can't even help but laugh when he says how's it like how are you doing, Cliff? And uh, Cliff says something like it's pretty bright out there today, and Norm's like yeah, I wouldn't know. Like he, he hasn't been outside
1: in a while. This is this is kind of a common move for Cliff. He seems to think that. All he has to do is change one thing or add an accessory, and that's what it takes to be cool. Um, But at the same time, it's a bit of Dumbo's magic feather because – it kind of works for him because Cliff is a sort of person who I think has a lot of deep insecurities. And if you can give him at least a little bit of a disguise to hide behind, he does get more self-confidence. I mean, remember the Ponce de Leon costume that he had in an earlier episode sure. that if yeah. you can give him just a little something to hide because I think there's things about Cliff where he overcompensates for things that he is kind of, you know, scared about himself and if you let him shield those just a little bit, in this case with sunglasses... He he does get more competent. He's less afraid of Carla, for instance, with these sunglasses on.
0: Yeah, yeah. She throws some shade at him, and he goes right back at her. Cause, yeah, she says something back at it to, to the effect that you know, like you know, like women would never pay attention to you anyway. And he's like, "How would you know? If these only work on women, or something like that." And then yeah, she she's the one who challenges him. She's like, "Okay, there's a woman at the bar. Go talk to her." And you're right. He he needs a little bit of push, but. Cliff kinda of saunters up to her with the contents of the those glasses and he says hi. She is quick to, you know, engage with him, but it's really just so that she can use her reflection to apply her lipstick. So
1: I'm I'm gonna say this could have gone so much worse for Cliff. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is Cliff Clavin who we're talking about. He's approaching a woman. He's doing his kind of oddly weird pretentious like walk with the... Uh, he's going to throw in some, some Italian. Uh-huh. Um, he's approaching a woman to impress his friends, and Carla is watching. Think of all the different scenarios this could play out, and now look at how little that is. This is a win for Cliff. If, anything, <laughs> if I mean, things that could go so much more embarrassingly... In this scenario, so I'm going to say that you know at worst this is a draw.
0: Yeah, really. We come back after the thing, and Diane is the only the only staff member there because the other three in the gang were out playing their uh, intra bar uh, baseball game. And they've just been crushed, and Carla describes it. she's like they ripped our guts out, held them up for us to see, and then rammed them down their throats again, like she gets really into the visceral description
1: so Diane was working the bar alone that's this is the question that I kept coming back to throughout this entire episode is cheers is cheers is a busy bar I mean <laughs> um these guys are kind of lovable losers, but Cheers is successful, that almost every time we see the bar, it's not like the dive bar, like Paddy's, and it's always sunny, where whenever you go in there, there's like three people, three old guys sort of silently sitting in there. Cheers is packed. Mm-hmm. Cheers, is, Cheers always has people in it. There are people sitting in all parts of the bar, always has multiple tables full of people. They've only got four employees that work the entire bar for the entire – I mean, you can try to figure this out in the same way that I try to figure out who is it that's piloting the enterprise when everyone goes to sleep. (laughs) But you know, most bars, I mean, if this one, I don't know how late cheers opens, but you kind of get the impression they're at least open during what would be considered a work day and they're open at night. Uh, and they have four employees and they're busy that frequently they leave like one person there. And I don't know how is, can Diane act as bartender?
0: uh she has so yeah definitely she can she she has the training she's done it at, at this point she's got years under her belt so Sam has trusted her with that um i mean got going into the later seasons when rebecca is there there's really only three like employees at, like working tending the bar like two bartenders and one waitress to tend the whole thing um, oh, wow. But yeah, because you're absolutely right. And I knew, like, as soon as when when you were texting me and, like, this thing broke my brain. I was like, I know what part you're talking about because later when they're actually at the bowling competition and Sam and Carla are on the team and then Diane and Woody show up and Sam's like, what about the bar? And they're like, oh, we we just closed it. And he's like, okay. And Woody actually, brings the he's like, it took us a little bit longer because we had to get all those people out of there. And you almost see, like... It, it like it, it's sort of this dawning realization on Ted Danson's face like maybe he knew something that the writers didn't want to acknowledge which is like wait a minute we shut we closed the bar in the middle of a really busy day how much is this going to cost me <laughs>
1: Yeah, that you're going to probably lose against Gary's. Yes. <laughs> and you're not only going to take the emotional and psychological hit of this snake crushing you again, but you're probably also losing several hundred dollars. Yeah. At least. I mean, it's it's going to eat into it. But that was the thing is the minute that Diane shows up with Woody, my brain almost broke. And I started furiously writing notes down before Sam, you know, kind of let them know that the audience was fine with it. You know, hey, we know, the writers. Hey, we know we know that they're all there, so we have to give an explanation for what happened to the bar. But before they'll go to the bowling alley, they were inviting Woody to go along with them, so they were going to leave that entire packed bar just to Diane. Mm-hmm. And nobody even seems to have a problem with it. That. That's the part that blows my mind because I could see that being, whoa, you're not going to leave me with all of this, but. It's the kind of sitcom trope of I'm just going to leave something that should be watched and it'll be fine. it'll be <laughs> fine. This isn't gonna cost us anything. It isn't like there's somebody who's just never gonna come back to cheers because they kicked me out in the middle of the day because they're gonna have a a bowling game right yeah, it's just it's very strange and I think later on in the series where Sam doesn't actually own the bar for a couple seasons, they wouldn't have the same freedom to do something like that, but
0: right you also I mean. I mean, it's really easy to, like, go follow this rabbit hole down and, like, really get it. It's like, okay, you're leaving the whole bar down to just Diane, who's, like, 70 pounds soaking wet. Like, does she have a gun? Does she have a baseball bat? Something to defend herself if, if, like, trouble breaks out or something like that? Like... Yeah, it's nuts. Oh, to to the point that you brought up earlier, like like what time I like how the, the hours of Operation cheers I swear there are some episodes when it seems like they're opening at eight o'clock in the morning, like when it's yeah. like like when they have like a normal business day. Like it's like this is a bar. Like what if they've got to like close at two? Like how long are these people working there? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then everyone has to have days off. So we know that they go on vacations frequently. We know that Sam goes and spends the weekend with some lady up in, you know, in the northeast at some little inn. Mm -hmm. And we know that uh, Diane will run off with a boyfriend or something. We know that. And they'll just disappear. And you'd think that would just destroy everything because, again, Carla is the only waitress. And it's just the weirdest thing. And just trying to figure out how long your work day is at a place like Cheers especially because you would all have to be working at once and that nobody really could ever have a day off unless there's just days of the week that Cheers is closed
0: yeah maybe that's the assumption but uh hard hard to figure anyway it's it's it only it makes sense in the fiction of the of the of the Cheers world and the, the whatever the saint elsewhere you know expanded universe
1: yeah, as long as we know that this is happening in the imagination of a kid looking at a snow globe, then I can let it go. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably the best practice. <laughs> but I I got to say, I do like the sort of sitcom world building that we have on Cheers. The kind of, These recurring elements like The Hungry Heifer and now uh, Gary's Old Town Tavern. It's those sort of little things that I think really sort of make a show. Or when you watch a Quentin Tarantino movie and they have red apple cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Little fictional brands and locations and, and elements or, you know, the cornballer on Arrested Development or the <laughs> yeah. Strand and Strangler on The Office. Yes. these little, They don't have to be a big plot element, but they're just a thing to flesh out the fictional world that you're watching a story in.
0: Right, right. Um, when, they're, when they're still down in the dumps before Gary shows up and they're talking about how, how good their team was and Sam comparing, he's like, they were like the 27 Yankees. And Woody just deadpan, he's like, he's exaggerating. There were only nine of them. <laughs> um, um, I love. First of all, Cliff is still wearing his shades, which I love. That comes back later on. Um, but they're all turning on each other. How they used to. And then uh, it mentions that Gary has beat them at softball, basketball, volleyball, and darts. Um, and he's upset. He's like, he he's kind of telling Diane the reason this this really kind of drives him crazy. Um, he, as you point out, he's he's an athlete. He was a jock, and he's like, and he he says Cheers is a jock bar. I mean, it's it's certainly it doesn't have like the staple of like a franchise sports bar, but there's definitely that element to it. It's I mean, there's definitely more high class and urbane customers too.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, Cheers is owned by a jock, mm-hmm. and I, they watch sports on the TV at Cheers, but it's not like Norman Cliff or jocks. I don't think the clientele is jocks. Right. right. But you know, clearly as they're competing with Gary, these guys are not jocks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would say, I mean, he definitely, he has his regulars, you know, the ones that he describes. you got Norman Cliff and the tertiary bar guys, and there's a lot of them in this one, like Steve and Alan, some of these guys that you always see hanging around. But I would probably venture that 50, maybe even 75% of Cheers's business on an average night would probably be people going up to Melville's who are just getting a drink yeah. while they're waiting for dinner
1: upstairs. And that's why a lot of the people seem to be fairly well-dressed when you see background extras on chairs. Yeah. They're usually folks that are wearing a suit, and they kind of have a little a coat over their suit and stuff like that. Like, again, they're Melville's customers. This is one thing I want to ask uh, about, about Sam. And I don't know if this is something we've ever asked on the show here before, but when he used to play for the Red Sox, how good of a player was Sam? Well... I mean he was he was a relief
0: pitcher, so he was never a starter, at least they they have said so. So I mean, that's says something to the like I mean his his qual the quality of his arm to be a professional pitcher, you've gotta be pretty good. But the fact that he was never a starter, that he was probably only brought in for maybe two innings a night, maybe uh maybe a little bit more depending on what was going on. Um, It also sounds like he maybe his prime was fairly short and that he was really only considered good for two years, maybe three seasons. Um, And then really his alcoholism got the best of him and and he started tanking pretty quickly. Um, So I kind of got the impression that maybe he was a flash in the pan. He was hot for a couple seasons um, as a reliever, but that was it. Um, and self-destructed. Yeah, and I mean, the, I mean, the, the average career for a professional athlete isn't much longer than a couple of years. I mean, you get you get yeah. some baseball players who can stay in the game for fifteen years, but most of them. I mean, you get you draft new guys every year. That tells you that some of them are washing out every year.
1: That's true. I, I was asking this because I was trying to get through. Uh, I mean, one one player on a, a team game, like say softball, isn't going to be enough to to win the whole game but um i mean it's a little easier with something like bowling as i think that the the people who are worse unless they're really bad aren't going to pull you down Mm -hmm. but i kind of get the impression with sam that he never lived up to his potential and that his kind of public celebrity is mostly forgotten yeah and maybe his later alcoholism is what people might remember about him because mm-hmm. um, I was trying, I was looking at you know the post sports careers of big sports stars like Michael Jordan. Yeah, he's been retired for almost twenty years, and he still sells jerseys and sneakers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still a major star. Mm-hmm. People will recognize him anywhere if he shows up. Peyton Manning is on those national yep. insurance companies. He was Papa Shaquille John's O'Neal. For a while. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Shaquille O'Neal is on like half of the commercials on TV, and uh, Sam's. Celebrity, I think that he owns the bar, but it's pretty packed most of the time. And he occasionally on the show does get um, radio interviews or TV interviews, but you kind of get the impression they'd bump him if something better came along or something more newsworthy. Yeah. So, you know, he's he was probably not a massive star. Um, yeah,
0: and, and I mean, even to the degree, I mean, the sports – Athletes in general have become much more national and now global figures, um, because of marketing. But I mean, in the 80s, they weren't really. I mean, the fact that Dick Cavett recognizes him in the second season is probably a, a pretty significant thing. But I would think he was probably more of a local Bostonian celebrity. And outside of Boston, I bet most people wouldn't know him from Adam.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm sort of figuring, you know, then because I mean, people have to be introduced to him a lot on the show. So he's not like it isn't Michael Jordan. You right. wouldn't have to introduce anybody to Michael Jordan because there'd just be crowds following him around. Right. Um, so, yeah. And I think maybe that local celebrity part, again, like I said, is what Gary gets out of this. I get to humiliate a local former you know jock guy and he gave the impression that gary was probably a jock you know he seems like the sort of guy who would have been part of a rowing team (laughs) and that's the thing with gary is that he kind of in a he's like an evil version of what diane wants sam to be because he's also somebody who went to princeton he's also Mm -hmm. somebody who probably had you clearly had a really high gpa and he's an athlete, and he, he has—he all these uh, different
0: he was a uh, what? Well, magna Cum Laude. <laughs> yeah, Magna Cum Laude. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love yeah. the exchange. He, like, Di- oh, so so the setup for this one is he Gary comes in and he's putting all of them down, and he's just shaming them, embarrassing, them. they have no comeback because of how often they've been defeated. So they're just letting him beat them down, and it, leave it to Diane, who has no interest in their competitions. She thinks the sports are beneath them, so she jumps in and throws down with him. And she's like you. Come to Belittle, my friends, I like, can only expect it. you're overcompensating for some physical shortcoming. And she's like, what about you know loftier pursuits? What about art and philosophy and music? And he goes, I graduated from uh, in English literature from Princeton. She's like, oh yeah, you couldn't make suma?
1: That was that – oh, I love that line so much. <laughs> yeah. um, that actually –
0: that, love- that occurred to me and maybe I've thought about this, but I just kind of forgot that I don't think they ever say what – college or university, Diane is attending. And being in Boston, there's like 30 that could possibilities. But I don't think they ever pin her down to one school.
1: I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, they never do say where she's going to classes, but I do kind of love the idea of this guy being all of these things that Sam isn't. Mm-hmm. Yet, in the end, he's still a guy who owns a bar, probably because he wants to. And... In a lot of ways, he's kind of the, I don't know, I guess you could say the Black Adam to his his (laughs) Captain Marvel, that you have this guy who's an athlete who also owns a local bar, but he has all these other things. It's just a little, the rivalry of it is all these little things, and he's always getting something over on him. But I love the minute that Diane speaks up, because her heart is in the right place, but she's also, she doesn't know how to not do this without being a bit pretentious, where... She's kind of slamming her friends at the same time she's slamming Gary, and yeah. you can see them kind of re- respond in that way, like, "Oh no!"
0: Oh, when she's coming like, because, to their defense, Sam and Carla look yeah. just as miserable
1: as when Gary is talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I love about her. Her real slam of Gary is how quick she comes back with him talking about, "Oh, well, I went to Ma- I was Magnum Kunlada for American Literature in Princeton." Her look on her face—you just gotta have this little. <laughs> <laughs> like smug look on her face like you nobody know, and i love that so much um <laughs> she was, a little like, bit of a spoiler holding, like, this is this is my favorite joke of the episode yeah
0: she, the fact that she has like maybe 0.2 gpa credit like points above him <laughs> that
1: she thinks that's all i love difference. that <laughs> couldn't make suma <laughs> and it's just i love that i love that joke so much and <laughs> it just reminds me again shelly long is incredible on this yes. show
0: yeah I love it. then getting to the other point when Sam is still kind of like, you know, if I if this isn't a jock bar, all my regulars will want to leave or something, they'll they'll abandon me and she kinda of makes fun of him. She's like, No, they'll say, Me no like cheers, let's go Gary's and she kinda of walks off down the hall and Sam has this, you know, his bottle of like water or something and he kinda of like shakes it up or something and tries to oh, spray yeah. her down the hall but and we don't see it, but we see Cliff come back down the hall still wearing the shades and like has to wipe them off with a towel. That little physical beat, I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. the It's like a club soda that Sam always has on the show. Mm-hmm. You'll see him. He'll get it for himself frequently. I mean, because, of course, Sam isn't going to drink. Right. Um, you do get to see her uh, pour one of those for him when he comes back depressed from the softball game, too.
0: I, I noticed that, too. When he, or it's when he comes back from the, um, she says, the auditions, and he has a character for that. When it's <laughs> a, a sports, it's called a tryout. When, uh, when they first go bowling, she pours him water, but she pours it in a beer mug. Yeah, and I just wondered. I was like, okay, that's that's very sweet and tender for her to like to anticipate. Okay, he's gonna want he's he's down. He's gonna need something to drink. I'll give him some water. But the fact that it's in a beer mug, like, mm-hmm. would you do that for an alcoholic? Would you put a beer mug in their hand even if it's just water? Is it? The fact that it's only water, but it's in a beer mug, would that make him feel better in this depressed state? I have no idea. But Maybe.
1: It's, I it's, don't know. Maybe the fact that somebody's serving you feels kind of nice. Yeah. Because it's, it's his regular club soda, uh, but it's, it's – because it's always in those kind of short, short clear bottles yeah, that right, Sam's right. drinking out of. But yeah um, – it's, it's very strange, but it is definitely a character thing that I don't think they ever vocalize about, but that Sam is always doing stuff at the bar, mm-hmm. and frequently he is just opening up b- bottles of club soda and drinking them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the fact that Gary actually comes by to taunt them individually is just... Oh, my God. That's the part where I really... The bully radar was just firing, and I'm just yeah. like, guys, stop.
0: And the continuity in the writing, because even though... The actors who play Gary will kind of leapfrog each other, like starting with season six. Um, the, that's that's something that Gary does all the time, and it's part of it because they, you know, they're not like shooting things with like, phones, like intercuts and everything. But they always have him come to the bar to rub, the, his, rub their noses in it. I wanted to actually address the bowling part of it, um, or as Diane calls the sport of the great unwashed, <laughs> getting in with a uh, kind of going along with how, how Carla described it. And I was thinking, like, okay. Of all the sports, of all the competitions, like, why did they settle on bowling? And I kind of thought part of it must have been just for the practical purposes of you have a, a, a sitcom where you need to have a set and you can't really have them run around or be too active because they need to be in like these three-camera shots, these certain angles. Yeah. So it has to be a sport where there's very minimal movement but something that's clearly identifiable. Like, and I was thinking, like, you know Seinfeld in some of its later seasons actually had like softball games where they they had the money to go out and go on a softball field and shoot outdoors and do things um in the office even in one of their first episodes they had like a a basketball game in the warehouse but it's a single camera show so they're doing everything actually they they will do a basketball thing in one of the later Gary episodes of Cheers but that's season 9 or 10, and at that point, I think, that was the biggest show on television, so they had the money for it. So I think at this point, they just needed something very simplistic, hence a bowling alley.
1: Well, bowling works really well for that purposes, of especially a sitcom, where you need people to be in close proximity of each other, sitting around. They have to be able to exchange dialogue. They're not having to run far away from each other, so they're not having to yell, and it doesn't feel unnatural for them to be able to bounce dialogue off of each other and this is actually kind of similar to uh why the big lebowski involves bowling so much is that the coen brothers um based the character john goodman's character the walter sobchak off of director john millius who directed red Dawn and conan the barbarian <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> and apparently the story with john millius showing up at a kid's house to confront him about homework found in a stolen car uh <laughs> apparently that's true um, including the baggie. Um <laughs> But I guess John Milius was obsessed with his softball team, but they found that that would be really hard to do scenes where they're sitting around at a softball game, because you're going to have to eventually run out there, and in, in softball, you're going to be fairly far away from each other, and right. to have all the very dialogue heavy stuff, it helps to be kind of close together, that the speed of bowling is pretty slow, so they switched it to bowling. So I think that Bowling makes perfect sense for the exact same reasons in this episode.
0: What did you think of Woody in this episode, and his little arc, if we can call it that?
1: Oh, I love it. It's it's basically the same arc that that Reggieville Johnson has in Die Hard, (laughs) except he never gets over his fear. (laughs) You kind of have that, oh, I did this horrible thing. I hurt a person once, and I can never do this again. You see it in a lot of old westerns. But I love the fact that he just freezes. It's a nice twist because... You know, obviously you think, you know, Woody's going to sh- show up and save the day and he's going to overcome his confidence, but I love that he just freezes and he never unfreezes. Yeah. And for the rest of the episode, he's just sitting there and he's still holding the ball. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, lo- I love his description. Like when they're like, He's like, I haven't bowled anywhere since the tragedy. And they're like, what tragedy? I have tell them that he, he dropped the ball, he hit uh, the, Gus, the maintenance worker, or something in the head. And they're like, well, you know, that happens. And he's like, no, he, after that, he was too dim-witted to ever go to stay in bowling maintenance. And the last I heard, he was now a clown at children's parties. And they're like, yeah that's, so, that's not terrible. He's like, well, he wasn't invited to the parties.
1: Yeah, the guy's been reduced to like non-consensual clowning. Yeah,
0: old Sully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Non-con- I really, non-consensual clowning, that's, a good, that's
1: I, a good... I thought Woody was great in this episode. Also, the 27 Yankees joke? Yeah. <laughs> um, that is not a joke that you could have done with, with Coach. Coach would have understood what, what he meant. Yeah, you're right. So I think that's the first joke that you could have only given to Woody. But I huh. think the idea of... Woody sort of freezing up i don't know you could i don't think you could have done this episode with coach instead of woody
0: no no not with the same thing i mean uh, the eventual reveal that diane is secretly a bowling ace it, it just would have had to be structured differently
1: i do love um diane's monologue about the bowling alley <laughs> yeah. where she walks in and she's like ah the alleys thanks it's really a sensory experience, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the scent of Aquanet on a beehive hairdo, the roar of polyester rubbing against old Naga hide, the sight of a cigarette stubbed out on a patty melt. All of this plus the anticipation of placing your feet in shoes only 7,000 others have worn before you. It's so
0: good. It's also sure. like it, it, it yeah. should it should be the first clue. It's like Diane has been here before. Diane yeah. has been in bowling alleys enough to know to have that recall of that detail.
1: Yeah, when she approaches other sorts of sports, I think she has a, an amount of ignorance and she's kind of coming at it from that. Mm-hmm. But she knows about bowling. Right. That she knows th- this is personal, her beef with bowling. Right. And. and um, it-
0: I found, it, I found it ironic when she eventually reveals that she has bowled before. that she And she says, I bowled in college. I needed a P.E. credit. And she says, I could read between frames, which goes back to your your what you said before, is that the speed of bowling, it can be pretty slow at times. You have time to sit there and have a conversation, which works for the Big Lebowski. It's the same thing for her purposes, where she can sit and read. And she also said, and you didn't have to run. I was like, that's what Carla said, the reason why Norman Cliff should be good at bowling. Yeah.
1: I'm gonna say, and she talks about her criteria for choosing that college PE credit. That was exactly what mine was. Yeah. That I specifically, I'm gonna have to take gym. I was like, man, I I've le- graduated high school. I don't want to have to do this anymore. So, not having to run was what. That's why I took archery. Huh? I mean, it's it's exactly that reason. I think archery, badminton, I think I had, I'm like, oh, no, they both count as the same kind of BE. So I ended up having to take some general health class. But I wasn't going to take anything where I was going to have to sweat. <laughs> and that was my, 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 so when Diane talks about that, I'm like, yeah, I'm there. Mm-hmm. But she talks about. Having taken bowling for six semesters, that doesn't make credit. sense. That doesn't make any sense. By the way, six semesters is three years of bowling.
0: Yes, yeah. I was like, wait, wait. How she said she needed APE credit. Yeah, <laughs> like, like that. Eighteen. Like, I that that maybe she should have said six weeks or maybe yeah six months. If we're being, I, I, even that is longer than a semester. But
1: yeah, yeah. It's like three or four <laughs> months at the most. But the fact that that's almost like she's getting another degree in bowling.
0: Yeah, she would minor in it at that bowling yeah. <laughs> Three <laughs> semesters of it. Add that to her list of, you know, un- unpromised, like, majors and minor degrees. Yeah.
1: I going to say this is one of the few episodes of Cheers where they actually leave the bar. That a pretty standard format and we see it at the beginning is that the Cheers gang enters the bar and they're talking about a thing that happened at another place. And it becomes, you know, this is what I think they do really, really well because they have to talk about a thing that happens and makes it funny through dialogue. And I think that's what this show excels at. Um so when they actually show up at the bowling alley, and I'm like, oh my god, we're at a different set. I actually I had a physical reaction because I'm just not used to seeing them outside of Cheers. Yeah. It's either the bar or an apartment. Yeah. And to see them in an actual location was – but that it led to one of my favorite jokes in the world is, you know, Norm is on the team in, in name only <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. leaves pretty early on and goes, hey, I'm just going to get a beer at the bar. And he walks in through the, the bar area of the bowling alley and immediately hears, Norm! <laughs> Sam looks around and he's like, How do they know
0: him here? And Cliff just goes, The man's got a life, Sam.
1: <laughs> I love that so
0: much. Um, uh, before we wrap up and start hitting some of our uh, superlatives, uh, I, I forgot to mention that Gary in this episode is played by Joel Polis, um, who has tons of movie and TV credits. Uh, he was in the original Thing. Um, just lots of stuff. Uh, and like I said, he plays Gary in three episodes. The other three, Gary is played by Robert Desiderio. But this guy, Joel Paulus, played, he was, speaking of Seinfeld, he was in one of my favorite episodes. He played the character of Riley in the episode The Comeback, which is where George coins the term jerk store. Which is that, like, he was eating, he was overeating something, and Riley says, you know, the, the, the ocean call, they're all out of shrimp. And George, in the car going home, thinks, I should have said the jerk store called They're All Out of You. And George thinks that is the greatest comeback, so much so that when he finds out Riley has been transferred to Florida, he (laughs) follows him there and instigates a meeting so that he can use this comeback. When everybody else thinks jerk store is such a dumb comeback, but I've always loved that turn of phrase. I think the jerk store, there's some business that should be called the jerk store that's just leaving money on the table.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember that. I had no idea that was him. Yeah,
0: that was the same and guy. And
1: I'm having a weird flashback right now.
0: <laughs> um, Interestingly, the member on Gary's team that's given, like, a lot of FaceTime is this blonde woman, Tawny, like, one of the waitresses or bartenders that that Sam is trying to hit on and everything. She never has a line of dialogue and, therefore, is never credited and she's not on IMDb. She's not in the end credits or anything. Like, I, I've been looking it up. I can't find who the actress is who played her. There's a woman in the credits named Woman, but that's the woman from the teaser who checks her lipstick and clips uh, glasses. And um, mm-hmm. that's an actress named Kim Waltrip, who has actually done a lot of producing and, and writing and some directing since then. Um, but yeah, the woman who plays Tawny, no idea who she is.
1: That's so weird, especially because she's an element of the plot, too. Yeah, because. Yeah. Finally, um, Gary decides that we should try to make this more interesting. That if Gary's team wins, that they will uh, that Sam will set him up with Diane, and if if uh, Sam's team wins, they'll set him up they'll set Sam up with Tawny. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that finally breaks Diane out of her retirement because I think at that point it isn't about just. Saving Sam and the gang at cheers from humiliation. it's a chance to rub something in Gary's face that so this guy has bothered her enough, and she kind of wants to make him lose,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: and um, yeah, Tony, even though being a plot element and having a name, which is two things that um the woman at the beginning doesn't have to not be credited is strange,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I would have think that the bare minimum to get your name in the credits would be just your character has a name.
0: I, I'd think, I'd think, but yeah, she, maybe no dialogue. They didn't. There was some contract thing in there. Something. Anyway, uh, for, for Norm's tab, I, I only gave him credit for two beers that we see him drinking at Cheers. <laughs> I didn't credit him for, because we never actually see him drinking at the bowling alley bar, although it's certainly implied. Um, so he now has three hundred and seventeen for the series up to this point. Ooh. Um, who was your employee of the week? Who did you think was the standout performance in this one?
1: Oh, I gave this to Diane. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to think that uh, when, when asking this question, period, if you just ask me blindly without watching the episode, this category is always Diane's to lose. Shelly Long is amazing, and I think that if uh, she didn't leave the show at the end of season five and I was going to put down real money on, on this element of the podcast, that she would win the most of these by the end of it. You know, if she hadn't left into the end of season five, she's amazing. She's amazing, and I really, I look at both the the bowling monologue. I look at the couldn't make Suma. I see all of that stuff, and she's incredible in this episode. I know she wanted to move on to a movie career, but they really should have just thrown a truckload of money at her feet just to keep her if they could have. Yeah, um, because she's incredible. She she's really an amazing performer. She's great in this episode. She's funny. Um, I. I give it to Diane. Yeah,
0: She was my runner-up. In this case, I gave it to the guest. I gave it to to Gary for this episode just because I liked how much he commanded his scenes, like when he walks in, how much he takes over. And you're right, he's bullying and... He should be obnoxious and just spiteful, and you should like hate this guy. But I wanted more from him. I he never crossed that point where he's beating them down and he turns into something that is really unlikable and cringeworthy. For me, he never got to that point. Um, It was always sort of just like, well, this is just their element. This is just part of their world, like a, a fixture. Yeah, I just I liked. I thought he was he was great in his moments, and he had like a little took over without not being in a bad way or something like that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, he's great in this.
0: Um, We've mentioned a lot of the the home runs and the best gags. The whole exchange with Norm going to the bowling alley bar and and Sam's line about how do they know him here, and he's like, yeah, he's got a life, Sam. Um, Those are some of my favorite lines. I also loved the moment... um, when Sam is trying to get Woody to come at him and he goes, I've never begged for anything in my life. And Diane clears her throat and he quickly <laughs> amends that to say that I actually enjoyed once I got. <laughs> so, what did you think? What were some of your favorites?
1: My runner up was uh, when Gary comes over to the gloat over the baseball game and he's just picking them out one by one to make them feel bad. Mm-hmm. He turns his back on Carla in the middle of his villain monologue. And she lunges at him to beat him over the head with a tray, and Sam pulls it out of her hand before she can get him. Um, just that quick physical comedy, I thought was really good and done very seamlessly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the phys- um, I mean, like with all the bowling and everything, and the, like the physicality because the the physicality with when um, Sam tries to spray Diane with the soda water or the the soda and. Um, and it ends up hitting when Cliff comes in because Cliff, you know, has like his, his sunglasses on, and the guy next to him, Alan, hands him the bar rag and everything, and he drives that off with him. So that whole physicality is played really well too.
1: Yeah, they really have it down to a science, I think, at this point in season four. That yeah. I think that they all know their characters, they know the location, they they there's these little I know this is Rob Kelly's favorite word, but verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. Um ways to make it feel like you're not just in a play performing lines of dialogue, yep. but that you were existing in a space and that you're doing little things and you're using the location to do things that your character would do. Yeah. That it ne- nothing ever feels out of character. And, you know, Gary should probably tread lightly because Carla has assaulted people in that bar before. <laughs> but that was my runner. My My winner, though, was the exchange between Gary and Diane. <laughs> that is my favorite because when Diane... Uh, she was like, hmm. <laughs> that little that little smug Diane laugh that very self oh, – couldn't make Suma. And it comes <laughs> so fast, and it gets a big laugh. Yeah. yeah. And I love that because you, you go into this, especially when you see the look at both Sam and Carla because they're just like, oh, no, Diane's going to embarrass herself too. And you're so used to Gary always winning. That you're expecting Diane to get humiliated by this guy too, and come out of it going like, blah, blah. That Diane gets to win," mm-hmm. and I love how fast it comes back, and <laughs> even even Gary
0: is like taken off, like kind of like bewildered by that of all responses, because when she's not still,
1: expecting she, that, at cheers.
0: Yeah, when she's coming at him with all of like these like you know high Flynn terms and these ideas and everything, he's like, "Hey." I'm not the dumb jock you think I am. He's like, I'm not the dumb bar guy. Like, I'm, I'm not Sam Malone. I am actually your intellectual equal because this is these are my degrees from Princeton. And she's like, mm, but you weren't 4.0, were you?
1: And he's yeah, just kind of, he's like, his she like still jaw looks down almost nose drops. At him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I that and just that little that little prim. <laughs> <laughs> like that, she's just oh, she's wonderful. Shelley Long is amazing, and the way she tackled that joke just sank it. I mean, it just nailed it. It was just oh, beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. O- overall, I mean, for for being sort of in the life of Cheers, this is going to be a historic one because it's the beginning of this recurring subplot of uh of Cheers versus Gary's. Although they do skip next season, Gary's doesn't come back until season six, but. Yeah, this is so much fun, and I I like this episode, so I was glad you were here. Any last thoughts before we go?
1: No, I just think this this is probably a great random episode of Cheers to show somebody who hasn't seen it before.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me again. Where can people find you on the Podcastosphere if they want to hear more from you?
1: Well, my main project is Radio Versus the Martians, which is kind of like a pop culture book club that I have with my co-host Casey Doran, where we go over just about everything in popular culture, usually stuff that we we find really interesting or don't think enough people have seen. Um, and uh, you can find us there at the com. We also have a secondary podcast called Podcast a La Vista Baby, where we're going through all of the movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we're in the final ten of those now, so we're coming close to the conclusion of that. Maybe we'll finish that up either this or next year. And uh, you can find that at podcastalavistababy dot com, and you can find all of our stuff on the usual, you know, podcasty places, iTunes, Stitcher, and whatever podcatcher app that you got.
0: You know, just a couple of days ago, for the first time in possibly 20 years or more, I watched Total Recall. And I was thinking oh my about God. the episode that you did with that and how much that movie holds up so well. I love that, that movie.
1: That and movie's incredible. And
0: I probably haven't watched it since maybe the
1: 90s. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. That movie is amazing. If It's, it's definitely a top three Arnold movie. Yeah. It is amazing. So good, so good.
0: All right. Well, uh, yeah, check uh, Check Podcast la Vista and Radio Versus the Martians out. Thank you, everybody out there who listens to Cheerscast and supports the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford Wright from the Right on Podcast Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents and Monday Movie Muckabout, who sponsors this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed.
1: I still don't know what happened. You know, one
0: minute I was picking up the eight ten split, and the next thing I know, the ten pin flies and hits old Sully right between the eyes, and he goes down like a sack of wheat. Sam, I ruined the man's life. Oh, come on, I'm sure you're exaggerating. Well, no, no, I'm not. Old Sully got too dim-witted to stay in bowling maintenance. Last I heard, he was a clown at children's birthday parties. Well,
1: what's wrong with that? He wasn't invited to them. Come on, Woody. They- Listen, man, I've never baked for anything in my life that I actually enjoyed once I got it. (laughs)